But as I, as I work to finish or kind of close out the, con- the short conversation, we, we intended this series to be this year because of the election. You know, that was, that was the purpose in our mind. It's an election year. It's going to be a year of division. Uh, let's talk about it, and it's going to be the purpose of election. We pushed it off to the later in the summer because of the conventions and things getting pushed off. And then as, as the pandemic continued on, and as people began to respond to, to coronavirus and things, we, we started noticing a lot of division around that. And so we said, maybe we should do this, you know, with that idea in terms of how people are responding. And then little did we know that this week would have such an incredible, profound week on our nation, but also continue to drive divisive wedges in the spirit of unity for us as, as a nation. And so we just, we had no idea. So I do need to, to clarify a couple things just so that you can engage in this message series with me. Um, this is not going to be a message in response uh, to the hatred and racism that our country is focusing on right now, and rightfully so in terms of conversation. I do trust as followers of Christ, you already know that there's no place for that kind of hatred and racism and biases and bigotry in our, our beliefs as followers of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you slap a Christian bumper sticker on your behavior and your biases, that doesn't make it Christian, right? We need Jesus and justice in that order. And if you want to be a part of, uh, I believe, it's going to be a good uh, representation of that, at Ward Park, First Ward Park down in Charlotte, there are religious leaders gathering at 1 o'clock today for prayer, for worship outside, and they're going to walk and talk through racial division as a Christian response. And, uh, and again, I believe they're, they're going to go from the need for Jesus and the need for justice, because both are needed in that order. The division I'm talking about, and again, because I want to make sure you're clear about this in terms of this series, our division, the division is not about the issues themselves. I can't preach on the issues of the pandemic, of policy. I'm not going to solve your political you know, crisis. I'm not going to be able to solve the racial crisis and the hatred that we've seen and the injustice over the past couple of weeks in terms of George Floyd and, and all that. But we, we start seeing that the, the division we're seeing right now is not in just the issues. The division is how we respond to the issues. Everybody say respond. They respond. The, the division comes in just our response to the issues. So I'm going to give you about six things. Um, I'm going to give you like six examples of what has come on my Facebook thread this week. These are not my opinions. Welcome to the friends that I have and the people that I have on Facebook, okay? I'm going to share with you what has been on my Facebook thread this week alone and progressively uh, heavier throughout the rest of the week. You are, you are either against the riots and looting and are therefore a racist, or you understand that this is the only way their voices can be heard. Another one I had is, you don't post, if you don't post the right words, then you are also still part of the problem. Apparently, there are new words, and new words and new definitions that we have to be aware of that, that are being attributed to people that may not know can't just be a, not a racist anymore. You've got to be anti and all these other things. We're being introduced to some of those things. If you post a picture of your kids having fun or your first dinner out uh, since the lockdown, instead of the glaring issues facing our nation, you are still part of the problem. If you think the riots are about justice for George Floyd, you're mistaken. 
They've moved past George Floyd and now is just anarchists who hate America and want to watch the world burn. If you don't say anything, you're a secret racist, and your silence is killing black people. And this is on my wall. I don't know what's on your wall. If you, don't, if you post support for the police, you're insensitive to the pain of the black community. If you post All Lives Matter, and this is what I got this morning, if you post All Lives Matter instead of Black Lives Matter, unfollow me, you are a racist and I don't want to know you. That's on my Facebook thread this morning. So understand, there are issues. Nod your head, amen, yes. There are issues to be talked about, talked about, discovered, re- resolved, understood. There are things that need to happen. But the division, I see division among the issues, but I see even more division on how people are respond. Say respond. Yeah, I see more division happening on how people respond to issues. And so that is what this series is about. Don't listen to this message as a match trying to say something about the issues. I can't talk about the issues. This series... It's about the division that comes and how we respond, especially we as followers of Christ. So I'm going to get to do a re- quick recap from last week. We said that di- disagreement does not equal division. It doesn't have to. Just as the faulty worldly thinking that agreement, you must agree with me in order to be unified with me, in order to have unity, which is really, again, not true. And these are the things we're fighting when it comes to how we engage, how we respond, and talk with each other. So again, real quick recap from last week. We focused on how we talk is as important as what we talk about. How we talk can eclipse the importance of the subject and the issue we're talking about something. I read that first in 1 Corinthians, you know. If you don't have love, if love is not the tone, if it's not, if it's not how you talk about it, you are nothing but noise. The scripture says a clanging gong and cymbal. Doesn't, how, doesn't matter how important the issue is. How you talk about it is just as important as what you talk about. And this whole call that we've been called to live in terms of living as disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ, um, you know, Jesus wasn't joking when he gave us his one commandment to love one another as I have loved you. And so Paul reiterates this when he's writing the church in Rome. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Live in, what's the word? Say it out loud. Harmony with each other. Don't be too proud. Enjoy the company of ordinary people and do, listen, don't think you know it all. You can just write that out and put it in your car, right? Put it on your computer. Send it to your sister. See, I'm going to say something about that in a minute. All right. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. It says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, just as Lorraine gave me a great point of illustration, as you listen today, right, I mean, maybe, it, maybe it was the temptation last week, but I'm promising you today is going to be, you're going to be tempted to listen to this, and you're going to go, mmm, you might even talk back. You might say your first amen in a long time, but you are going to be thinking about the five people that need to hear this message, and you are not going to be thinking of yourself, right? You're going to be thinking about the three people you're going to tag in some passive-aggressive way, in some way on, the, on Facebook when you share this message, so you can be like, hey, you should, this was really, you, do you know my church? 
Do you, do you, you know, this was really good. You, you want to start somewhere, you might want to start here. We talked about freedom and responsibility in terms of engaging and, again, responding to things that we're in terms of agreements and arguments and disagreements, sorry, disagreements and arguments. In terms of freedom, we do have some responsibility even in our freedom. Matter of fact, Paul said it this way to the church in Galatia. He says, you've been called to live in your freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how you use your freedom. The whole law can be summed up in the command, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to say, but if you, allow, if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. The only outcome, okay, there's one outcome. When you live in the, in the worldly thinking that if you don't agree with me, that's it. You're my enemy. There's no way we can agree to disagree. That doesn't happen anymore. And disagreement causes division in families, in marriages, and in homes, in communities, in churches. There's only one outcome with the biting and the, and the back and forth and the argument. It's destruction. And guys, trust me, we have an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only job. And that's what he would love to see, which is why this is so important. Not just the issues, but how we respond. Disagreement, and we, t we ended it here. Disagreement without division was the goal. Allows us to remain united in Jesus Christ. If you can get to this place in your life where those disagreements do not cause division, you can remain united in Christ, which is how we ended last week. We said, well, how? <laughs> how does that happen? Well, we're going to talk about two words two words and then kind of walk through how, how God sees this and, and in terms of our charge, our call to engage and respond to others. But I'm going to give you two words. I'm going to have the group in the room read it out, out loud a couple times. If you're online, I need you to engage. You type it into the comments. You, you do something. Okay, don't passively hear these words. Everybody on here, go ahead and read it out loud. The two words are Yeah, you, you don't even know the power of these words. You just said it like it was nothing. Oh, let's read it again. Let's type it in. Let's, let's see this. Okay, these are the two words. How do we do this? Sacrificial humility. We have to talk about both words before we dive into even how God sees this, but understanding them is important. Humility, just looking at the definition from the Merriam-Webster, freedom from pride or arrogance the quality or state of being humble. It's, it's being free from your ego and your pride and your need to be right or your need to win. It's freedom from that. But it's a state. It's an attitude. It's a place you seek to be. And it's a place you can move away from very quickly. Okay, that's humility. Now, why do we use the first word sacrificial. What do we have to sacrifice? Well, here's where we're going to spend a couple minutes. Faithfully living out sacrificial humility will cost everyone our insatiable need to be right. Now, very quickly for the students in the room, I've, I've underlined, I'm helping you cheat, by the way, I've underlined all the words you need to be writing down from your pack, okay? So just to let you know, 
if you want, if you want a, if you want a, a prize later, you, you, you guys follow along, all right? Online as well. Parents can, you know, make you a second lunch. I don't know. <laughs> this is a big deal. See, in order to not just be humble, but to faithfully live out what it means to be sacrificial in that humility, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us the insatiable need to be right. How badly do you want to be right? Now, I'll be honest, last week I had a great couple conversations after the service and later on about people that just admitted it, like, good Lord, like, I am so driven to be right. I get such value. Like, I, like people have been trapped in a value and worth system based on whether they are right or not. And this is, this is where we are. And so this insatiable drive means it cannot be satisfied. You don't have to admit, don't nod along with me. It's fine. But when you have such a need to be right, you can never be right enough. Nod your head if you give me a little nod. Yeah. It's never going to be enough. You have to be right about all things now. If you're wrong, you have to hide it. You can't confess it. When you have this drive to be right and you understand that it's going to cost you something for humility, sacrificial humility, you understand it's that need to be right. It's that thing that drives you. And it will never be satisfied. Just go ahead and let you know. It's a dead-end road. Now, Christians only make it worse. I know everybody wants to amen that, right? Christians only make it worse. Why? Because we're Christians. We have the truth of the Word of God on our side. Obviously, God wants us to be right, right? He, he sent his son to die for us and to save us and then sent his spirit to indwell us so that we could be right. We read scripture and we, we, maybe we don't read all the words, but we see it and we see it at least. We understand that, look, this is a great passage. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life to be right, and love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and correctness, and kindness, and goodness, and certainness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and infallibleness, and self-control. I know half those words aren't right. Matt Dawson version, that's right. You got to pay attention. But to be honest, do, do you know Christians who live this way? Yeah, it's, it's there. We only muddy it up a little bit more when we start adding God and spiritual growth and things to it with our need to be right. And yet, when you look at God's Word, I'll put the real one up this time, okay? Holy Spirit produces what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's interesting. Being right isn't there. Whether you're right and someone else is wrong is not a fruit of the Spirit of God living and working its way out in you. It's not. I don't want to dem diminish the truth of the Word of God because we cling to His truth. But understand, when we put all the emphasis on the, on the issues of the day that are most important right now, and we want to be right about it, that is all us, that is all arrogance, that is all ego, that is all pride, and not the Spirit of God, and not you living as a Christian. That's what it is. First word, sacrificial, because it's going to cost us something. It costs everyone. That insatiable need. Now, the second word is humility. 
And this word is used different ways, so I want to make sure you guys see this. I love this quote. This is from C.S. Lewis. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Now, you, you may have heard other people say that, but as best I could research, C.S. Lewis actually penned that. It's very simple. True humility. It's a pursuit. Not of thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Thinking less of yourself is, is sometimes a very healthy thing, and sometimes it's a very unhealthy thing. And what C.S. Lewis is saying, and obviously what we read in Scripture, it is not about thinking less of yourself. It's not about, you know, dehumanizing you. It's not about, you know, making you feel worthless. That's the enemy's job. Okay, the enemy of your heart and soul wants you to feel less about you. So a lot of that comes from the enemy to, to be humbled in such a way that you, that's a negative, okay? That it, it can be a negative, that's not what C.S. Lewis talked about. That's not true humility. That's not the humility we're going to talk about today. However, sometimes we do get humbled by God. He can humble us. Sometimes he needs to humble us. That's not your job to humble anyone. It's not my job to humble anyone. It's God's job. And it's not to make you think less of yourself because you're worthless. It's to think less of yourself because you're arrogant. It's to think less of yourself because you think you're all that and you're not. So God has to, you know, that's what part of the word of God is. We read it. It reframes who God is and it reframes who we are. That's being humbled by God. You, all you got to do is, you know, you, you start feeling cocky. Go read, you know, the last three chapters of Job. Okay, go read God's conversation with Job. Hey, Job, did you hang the moon? No. Do you tell the wind where to go? No. Well, then zip your hole. Okay? Okay, your, your opinion wasn't asked for, and it doesn't even matter that much. There's, there's, there's times in which God does need to reframe and humble us, because it's not all about us. It's all about him. Oh, yeah, we love that, don't you? Know, nobody's retweeting this right now. Okay, all right, here we go. I understand. How do we do it? Okay, how does this work? And I want to read through some scriptures and talk about a few specific ways in which we express and move into the place of sacrificial humility in our conversations, in the way in which we engage, no matter what the issue is, and how we respond to others, no matter what the issue is. Sacrificial humility. We start here. It's respecting one another. I shared last week that the temptation sometimes, when we discount people, not, not information, but we start to discount people, we treat them as an enemy. And we, we don't do this intentionally, but when we start viewing people as sort of the idiot in the room and they don't know and we start discounting them, we start to disrespect them. We will speak to them in such a way in which we are no longer going to respect them. That's a problem because in sacrificial humility, you start by respecting one another. Uh, this is a great proverb. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Right? Pride, pride and arrogance and all this is going to lead somewhere. And eventually it's disgrace. That's what the wisdom of, of, of Solomon's telling us. But wisdom, humility, with humility comes wisdom. With the purpose seeking out of humility comes Wisdom. Okay, the Proverbs also tell us that knowledge puffs up. How many remember the, the, the Nike 
uh, pumps. You guys remember those? Was it the Nike pumps? Yeah, I'm showing Reebok. Oh, of course, I was wrong. Reebok pumps, right? You can tell I didn't own any. Uh, Reebok pumps, right? You remember that? How many pumps do I need to jump 12 feet? Four more pumps, you know? Yeah. Knowledge puffs up. That was the, the proverb, right? Knowledge puffs up, but God gives grace to the humble, right? That's that, this, is, this is the theme of wisdom, that your pride and your arrogance and your need to be right is going to dis- disrespect others. It's going to be disrespectful to people. You're going you're gonna to do all those things, like discount them. And when we really want to sacrifice our need to be right, we really want to, to think of others first, meaning we really want to put others' priorities, others' needs, others' desires and passions above ours, that brings wisdom to our life. It also says this, Peter, this is another great one where I love, Peter's talking about our, our testimony, our testimony with the world. He says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, you want to always be ready to explain it, but I want you to do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. You, you want to be respectful. And can you imagine if this is so important that God would leave this in his word through Peter, that he's saying it's so important that when you share your faith, when you share about who Jesus is and the hope that you have, that you be respectful of others. Can you only imagine how much more important it is for us to respect others when we share in our opinions that don't even matter and weren't asked for? Like like he's saying you want to be respectful because this is huge. We, we, you are the one sitting on, you know, in the place of, of where God has delivered Christ and he saved you. You are right. Let me go ahead and tell you. When you sit in a place of, of that place, you are right. But even when you are already right because you have a follower of Jesus, it does not give you the right to disrespect someone. You want to say it in a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear by how you say what you say and the actions that you take. Respecting others simply requires us to see people the way God sees them, to see one another in love, to see one another as creations of God, as image bearers of God. It's not that hard, but we can get lost in our need to be right, which is why we seek sacrificial humility. Another way is this. We want to extend grace to one another. We want to extend grace to one another. There's a great phrase I'll use it here in a minute, but we're going to go read Titus. This is Paul speaking to Titus, and he says, you're not supposed to slander anyone, and you need to avoid this quarreling, this fighting, this disagreeing. Instead, you should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too, I love how Paul adds himself to it, right? No, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures, to our need, our ego, our pride. Our lives are full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Hey, one time that was us. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence, faith, that we will then inherit eternal life. There's a great phrase that I remember being raised in the Baptist church, uh, were it not for grace, right? Were it not for grace, where would you be? Where would I be? Well, I'd still be lost. I'd still be hopeless. You know, I'd still still think that 
politics rule everything in, our, in my world. I would still think that I would be f- scared to death of a pandemic. Right? I would have no choice but to be angry about the hatred racism. I would have no choice but to lash out if that's what I was told by everyone else needed to happen. You understand? When there is no God, when there is no grace, when there is no hope, you think you're any different than anyone else? No. This is where God's kind of like, look, I want you to I want you to share each other's burdens here. I want you to love one another in such a way that you, you understand that, that you are going to need grace from them and you are going to need to extend grace to them whether they've asked for it or not. You're going to need to extend grace to someone else whether they deserve it in your mind or not. Matter of fact, that's our next passage in Galatians. He says, share one another's burdens in this way to obey the law of Christ, to love one another. If you think that you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. And I love this last phrase. You're not that important. Right? You're not that important. That's, that's not Paul being mean. It's Paul letting God humble us. Okay? I know it's really important to you today. I know when that post came up, when that person said that really dumb thing about the riots, and when that person said that thing about the mask, and when that person said this thing about, you know, the the political party, I know that in that moment you rise up because it's the most important thing right now for you to respond and be right because you're right. And that's not sharing anything. And that's not remembering who you are because you're not that important. Sacrificial humility has to cost us something And it moves us into a place of really putting others and thinking of others more than ourselves. Thinking of ourselves less. Here's a big one. We have to forgive one another. Well, why do we have to forgive one another? Well, because people are going to offend you. Right? People are going to offend you. Just the way it is. People are going to say things that offend you. People are going to act in a way that offends you. People are going to take positions with political parties and information that offends you. And you want to know why you're offended? You want to remember how you can tell you're offended? Because you feel the need to rise up and defend something. And then you start to assign motives to that person. Well, they're only saying that because blank, blank, blank. They're only doing that because blank, blank, blank. This is when judgment comes. And all of us are fantastic silent judges in our hearts. Are we not? We are fantastic silent. We will judge people so quickly and not even think for a moment that we've judged them. Why? Because they've said something that offended us. They've done something. They've And yet, one of the ways in which we respond, engage, and sacrificial humility is we understand that I'm going to have to forgive people even when they don't know that they've offended me. Even when they don't know. It may not even be a conversation. It may not not need to be a group hug afterwards. Y'all with me? You just need to forgive them. You need to kill the judgment that rises up in you. Here's how it says again, this is Paul, to the church in Ephesus. He says, I want you to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger 
and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. I want you to get rid of all the things in which, all the things in which you think you've justified the way you've engaged and responded to people. Why? Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Just like that. You guys remember the parable when Jesus talked about the guy who owed the king like $100,000 and he begged for forgiveness and, and, and the king, you know, released his debt. And then he ran, into a, he ran into a guy who owed him like $10. And that guy begged for forgiveness. And he says, no, and he enslaved him and he enslaved his family. And then someone tattled to the king. And the king came down a harsher judgment than you could have, he would have ever been given for the 100000 that he owed. Why? Because he refused to forgive. Guys, we don't want to be in that place. That's not something you want to be known as as a Christian, as someone with silent judgment in your heart that is constantly being offended and constantly does not understand the need to forgive others as much as Christ has already forgiven you. It cuts to the quick. I'm going to give you a phrase. I'm going to give you a phrase that just helps us understand what is the watching world is, is, is really needing right now when it comes to the people of faith. And that's this, pursuing uncommon unity. It's uncommon because in the worldly way of thinking, we have to agree on things in order to be unified. We have to. There's nothing else there. And yet, what we see in Scripture is this option that does not come from the world. It does not come from worldly thinking. It only comes through Jesus, that we can pursue an uncommon unity in this world. Here's the way Paul, and I'm going to read you a few verses here, try to go quickly. Here's the way Paul described it, okay? He asked some questions as a way to prompt sort of an emotional response from the church in Philippi. Here we go. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? He's asking the church, is there any encouragement from belonging to Jesus? Hopefully people will be like, yeah. Any comfort from his love? Hopefully. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Yeah. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I'd like to think so. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together in one mind and purpose. Paul says, look, this, and, and understand that the word for agreeing there is not the same way we use agreeing. It's unity. It's the word we're using. Be in unity with one another, in one mind and purpose. And here was Paul's sort of litmus test, right? Here, here was Paul's like, like, well, how do you get unified? In the spirit of in Christ, he says, "Well, we all belong to Jesus. Check. We're loved by Jesus. Amen. Check. We have the spirit of Jesus in us. Yes, yes. And we have the heart of Jesus, meaning that we we want to be tender and compassionate to the things that breaks God's heart. And here he is saying, "Hey, if you have those things, 
Guess what? You can be unified in me. You can work together to accomplish the mission I've given you. You can be in unity with one another. You don't agree with the same political party? Fine. Do you have any comfort in God's love? Yes. You don't agree about how, to ha- how people are responding to the pandemic? Fine. Disagree. Do you guys all have the Spirit of God in you? Yes. Then be in unity. He keeps going. <laughs> don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of, your, of others better than yourselves. Again, he's hitting the humility here. Don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. And here's this passage you may have read before, but this is where Paul is just kind of going to drill down on sacrificial humility because that is the, the path, if you will, to unity in Christ. He said, look, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. There was no, listen, there was no one else that lived on this earth more right than Jesus. Nod your head if you understand that, yeah? Yeah? Did he leverage that? No. He came to seek and to serve and to save. He didn't consider who he was in his own very nature to be something to leverage instead. No, he says he gave it up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave when born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died on a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, because of the path that Jesus took, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above, above all other names. That the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a day coming because Jesus humbled himself because it was sacrificial humility to to save, to, to, to search and to save and to love us. That God then have elevated him that there's no one else that's going to be able to humble anybody better than Jesus. Because at some point, regardless of what you think and regardless of how you've lived, you're going to bow a knee And declare a name that is above every other name. Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. For us, we can pursue this uncommon unity by just remembering that we can disagree without division on many things. Everybody just say many. Many, yeah. It's not just one. Many. And remain united in Christ. We can we can, we can see this uncommon unity happen in our lives, in our midst. We can. I'll just go ahead and let you know. I'm your pastor. I love you guys. I want to seek this, this uncommon unity with you. Many of you guys think because of something I've said in a sermon in the past, you'll catch me saying something online, and because of your filter, you'll be like, oh, Matt totally agrees with me. I feel the exact same way. Probably not. Really. If we had the time and for some reason thought it was going to be healthy, you and I could sit down and talk about all the things we disagree about. There'd be probably more than you'd think. But it doesn't change my heart to pursue uncommon unity with you. 
as the church of Christ. And guys, we have to be very, very careful. But the insatiable need to be right, this constant desire that the disagreements cause division, this constant reality in which the world tells us that we have to agree on this issue that matters most right now in order to be unified. Because that is not what unites us. We can disagree. We can, we can, we can continue to work through things, not to change each other's mind, but to discover why we think the way we think, why you think the way you think, and still be unified. We can. But the path to that is sacrificial humility. It's going to cost us something. It's going to require us to be reframed by God, humbled by God, to know who we are versus who he is and how important this is. We allow the world to be the only voice in our heads Everything else is going to feel a whole lot more important, including you, including me. I want to read this passage as kind of a benediction style, meaning that I want to read this over you, because this was, this was a scripture for me that kind of encapsulated it all, and I'm going to pray for us and close this out, but this is Paul speaking again to the church in Ephesus, and he's wanting to see them be united, and more than anything, he wants the church to live out the life that God's called them to. And that is my prayer and my heart for you and for everyone who calls Journey Home and for those who've been tuning in because I know your church isn't meeting and, and we're thankful to have you here for a season with us. This is my prayer for you. So I'm going to kind of read this sort of benediction style over you. Paul says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of serving the Lord, beg you to live, lead a life worthy of of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Oh, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Let me pray for us. Father God, it is absolutely impossible for us to have the strength and the self-control to be willing to sacrifice our need to be right apart from your spirit doing a work in us. God, it is impossible for us to, to be free of pride and arrogance, to, to have that state of humility without God understanding who you are and who we are and allowing you to reframe who we are by your word, not to demean us, but to put us in our rightful state of being able to declare who you are. We can't do that without your spirit in us, alive and working through us. So today my prayer is simple, just like that verse, that we would all live this life worthy of the call on our lives for, from you and be sacrificially humble as we pursue this uncommon unity that is needed, desperately needed in our world today. It's only by your power and by your grace, God, that you can do all things. In your name, Jesus. Amen.